This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store with the new Squarespace Commerce feature. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com slash trek and use offer code TREK4. You're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again this week is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, uh, your screen says that you are still an elite planet-killing knight. Now, are are you still into those Voyager comics from last week? Chris, I don't know how to confess this, but I have not stopped rereading Avalon Rising <laughs> since we recorded last week, and I, I don't know why I can't stop, but honestly, it just keeps getting better, and and one of my favorite things of just kind of listening back to some of the show last week was the, out, the artwork on the um, iTunes enhanced podcast because it was that beautiful picture of that wonderful Starfleet clipper ship. I just, it just fell in love with that comic. So yes, I I can't get away from the fact that I just really want to be an elite planet-killing knight. <laughs> Speaking of the artwork, um, the one I used for Final Thoughts, you may have noticed, was the holographic doctor riding the horse. And I, I, I tweeted that artwork out, actually, and I just tweeted, wondering what the hell this is? Go listen to the new literary treks and find out. <laughs> yeah, it's oh my goodness, oh my goodness, and and it's and it's that kind of pastel pencil work. Yeah, um, yeah. and wow, it was fantastic. So. It's, it was really something, really something. Well, well, this week we're not <laughs> going to be talking about Avalon Rising. To everyone's great disappointment, I know we're going to hit a couple of quick book items and news. And then we have Emmett Plant joining us for the feature, and we're going to talk about how to speak Klingon. So before we do that, Matthew, let's look at the two book items. And uh, the first one is something we've touched on just a little bit recently. This is Christopher L. Bennett's forthcoming Enterprise novel, Rise of the Federation, A Choice of Futures. And we now know a little more about it, and we have cover art. Yeah, this is, I think, going to be a really exciting book. Um, in the blurb here really talks about the idea that from the ashes of everything that's happened in this Romulan War, the United Federation of Planets kind of rises out of that like the Phoenix. And um, in, Jonathan Archer has become an admiral now and is really envisioning a place where all of these species work together for the betterment of of each other and and two really wanted to create a multi-species starfleet and so really integrating that 
uh, into what Earth had done with its Starfleet and working to do all that and, and really as well get back to exploring those strange new worlds. Um, we're going to get things like Captain T'Pol and Captain Malcolm Reed um, working together to really secure that bright new future that Archer is working towards. I think those are good steps. It's a good step for Archer, who you know really didn't want to pull on the ship in the first place, and I and I feel was very human centric. Um, of course, he he did bring Flox on as a Denobulan, but the the idea that you know I think meeting Shran, working together with Shran, and and other events that happened along the way during the series itself helped Archer to kind of warm up to the idea and realize the importance of, of diversity within Starfleet. So that's cool to see. And also, as you mentioned, getting back into exploration, which I think is important because, you know, we know that the Zindi arc in season three really changed Archer quite a bit from being that explorer, I think. And so getting back to that is nice to see. And also looking at the cover art here, which you mentioned that Archer is an admiral at this point. Uh, he's looking a little bit presidential here too, don't you think? He is. Uh, it's a very you know, kind of stern picture of him. Um, you know, the, I, I will be honest. This artwork is not my favorite uh, for a, a Star Trek book. As a book I, cover, I do feel yeah. like, yeah, as a cover art, uh, I do feel like they could have done something a little bit more exciting, maybe given us that Enterprise update that uh, was the kind of the cross between the NX and the Constitution class that we've seen out there from Doug Drexler's blog, those kind of things. Just something a little bit more inventive here. You know, I think what I would have done is the image of Archer here is not bad, but I would have this and I would have Shran and I would have a Tellarite and then I would have that NX01 refit that you're talking about, small, coming yes, across the front of them. Go. Yeah. So that you have those three founding members of the Federation and the NX01. And then it does seem, too, though, that um, in this, a, a new threat is going to emerge that's really uh, very, very alien. It's hostile, and, and negotiation kind of seems oh, like it, okay. it's going to be impossible. Good. So it's a threat from somewhere in space. Okay, you, you scared me for a minute. I thought that... UPN executives were going to start taking over control of the literary universe of Enterprise. No, luckily, <laughs> sure. um, that won't be happening. So hopefully, Trip won't die again in the novels. Um, okay. And so something that heinous won't happen. We're we're just praying this isn't another. These are the voyages. Um, right. But with Christopher I, Bennett in the helm, I have no fear. No, um, I think we're safe. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, this is this is going to be really interesting, though. It looks like this might build up to some kind of war. And uh, at the same time, it looks like some of their old foes are going to be working to secretly sabotage their efforts and, and really try to nip this Federation experiment in the bud. Uh, so this book sounds fantastic. I, there's a lot going to be going on, is my guess. And uh, it's really going to be giving us that cornerstone foundational aspect of the federation that we just haven't had before and i'm really excited to get to read this and it's another one of those books that it's being printed under the star trek enterprise name but it's one of those stories that should be appealing i think to any star trek fan who wants to know 
how we got from our time to the time of Kirk, Spock, and onward, because this is about how the Federation came to be. So even if you're not an Enterprise fan per se, we're getting into territory here with the Romulan War, post-Romulan War, Rise of the Federation, that I think should be interesting to you as well. Yeah, uh, so I suggest, you know, if even if you didn't love Enterprise, but you would really like to know about this time period, support these books. They're already giving us, this is the first one, they're going to be giving us a second one as well. So you know that if you read this one, you're at least going to be getting a second book in this series. It's not just going to be a one-shot. This is going to be something that I think every fan can really sink their teeth into and enjoy. Most definitely. The other item that we have today also has to do with some cover art that we have out. And this is Dayton Ward's From History's Shadow, which Dayton talked to us about the idea of this book and you know how it came about when we had him on the show a while back. I love the cover art on this one because this is really like that, uh, ooh, it's got that kind of uh, UFO conspiracy theory. It's got that, you know, 1960s feel to it. It's um, a little bit different than what you would expect to see looking at a Star Trek cover. Yeah, this is some great cover art. Um, it, it really does set the scene for that kind of pulp sci-fi um, 50s B-movie. Um, bad guys from outer space are coming. I, I really like this cover art. I think it's really smart and a lot of fun. Um, we're going to be doing some fun things in this book as well. Gary Seven, Roberta Lincoln... Um, tying in the whole Roswell incident. It's going to be a lot of great things going on here. Dayton, I think, is is just having a blast writing this when we, we talk to him about it. Um, and, and two, it just sounds like a really fun story, kind of tying all of these different things together. It's always enjoyable when that happens in the books for me. I wonder if Dayton is going to pick up the DS9 threads here involving the Roswell incident and at least make a passing reference to the fact that it was Quark, Rom, Nog, and Odo who crashed in Roswell. Well, if I recall correctly, um, Captain James Wainwright is part of that whole Roswell incident in the episode. Okay. So it does look like Dayton will be pulling that in. There is a the blurb here that we'll link to was at Star Trek.com. It gave four um, novels um, that are coming out throughout the summer. We've already talked about three of them, and this was the latest one that they hadn't really given us anything on. So I'm really excited to see this come out. Well, I can't wait to read this one either. This, this is the kind of, of fun take on Star Trek that I always enjoy. Matthew, let's take a break from news for a moment here and talk about our sponsor, Squarespace. Now, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and with the new commerce feature that they've introduced, you can even put together an online store in just a matter of minutes. You can be up and running. You know, They've worked out a deal with Stripe to make it very easy for you to accept orders and process credit cards and handle all the different aspects of commerce. There are so many things that you can do with Squarespace. Now, I use it in two ways myself. I use it for my personal blog. I also use it for Trek FM, which is a very large site. Uh, and I use it for uh, some other sites for uh, clients that are a little bit smaller than Trek FM is, but still very robust sites. One of the other things that I really like, Chris, is the fact that you can import seamlessly. 
you know, for me, I, I use a WordPress blog. And so if you're using WordPress or Tumblr or uh, Blogger or Squarespace 5, you can easily import all of that content from those blogs there to help create your brand new blog on Squarespace, which I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time setting up my blog on WordPress. And so I was uh, really excited to see that Squarespace offers you this portability to just be able to take everything you've already done and to be able to move it over to your brand new blog on Squarespace. And then, of course, use all those fantastic tools that Squarespace gives you to make an even better blog. Right. It's a great feature, too, because as we'll tell you, you can try it free for 14 days. Uh, They don't even ask you for a credit card. But you do have access to this feature during that time. So you can take your WordPress blog and you can import that into your trial site on Squarespace and see exactly how it's going to look. And then you can use the tools, like you said, to tweak it and uh, make it your own. And then you can compare that with your experience on WordPress. Uh, And it doesn't even impact your existing WordPress site. so, So you can try it out. Uh, Matthew, we talked about the commerce feature a little bit at the beginning here, and it's really truly never been easier to start selling online than it is with this new Squarespace commerce feature because it lets you add a fully integrated store into your website, and more importantly, it allows you to instantly start accepting payments. And accepting payments is the real kicker because that's what has always been as I've uh, set stores up for clients, as I've set stores up for myself, that's the big sticking point that always requires uh, research and jumping through a lot of hoops to get it set up and working. Definitely, Chris. And along with that, um, making it very easy to um, manage your store really painlessly, by managing the inventory, processing the orders, making sure that uh, you get to be uh, print out the packing slips, you can customize the emails, um, and all of these things make it so easy to be able to run your own personal store and what you would like to sell on your website. And all of us, I think, would like to be able to earn some extra money. And this is a perfect way to be able to do that through your Squarespace website. In addition to those points of the commerce feature, I'd also like to point out that you can quickly set up multiple shipping methods. Uh, You can set up coupons, a variety of coupons, and a really big one, which actually can cost you quite a bit of money in having to bring in consultants to set up for you, is dealing with tax rules. Uh, This Squarespace commerce system will automatically handle the taxes that you need to charge on these purchases, because it can get really complex, uh, especially in the United States, where you know each state, even each city, county, can set their own tax rates. Uh, you've got states like California, where they have different tax rates that need to be uh, handled for these online purchases uh, throughout the state. That's all taken care of for you here. So it's uh, just out of mind for you. The system does it for you. You can focus on making great products and uh, selling those through your site. So we'd like to invite you to try this for yourself. It's really easy. Squarespace gives you a 14-day full-featured trial. No questions asked, no credit card. You just go sign up, create the account. Uh, You have access to all the tools. And then when you decide to sign up, 
Squarespace has an offer for Trek FM listeners. You can get 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts by using the offer code TREK4. So the way you do this is you go to squarespace.com slash TREK. Do go to that URL to tie it into Trek FM and use the offer code TREK4. And you'll be up and running in just a matter of minutes. I guarantee you, you're going to love it. Squarespace has everything you need to create an exceptional website, and you'll be supporting our sponsor and helping us bring this programming to you each week. Well, tonight we have a special treat for everyone. Um, Last week, we got to have uh, Tristan from To The Journey. To The Journey! To The Journey! Okay, epic fail. (laughs) And this week, we have with us Charlene Schmidt. Charlene, say hi to everyone. Hi to everyone. Uh, Char, what show are you from? Uh, the, um, mission log? Mission log! No, 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 no that doesn't no, work. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, John. Log. Sorry, John and Ken, that doesn't work. Yeah, either. John, that's, <laughs> Ken, that's, no. we apologize. No, no you're on To the Journey. To the Journey! Oh, oh, right, right, yeah, To the Journey! To the Journey! There we go. And with us as well, we have Emmett Plant, who has been working on Star Trek audiobooks and the brand new book that will be coming out soon, How to Speak Klingon. Emmett, how are you doing tonight? I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on the show to talk about, one, uh, your work with Star Trek audiobooks, as well as uh, your brand new book, which is out now, How to Speak Klingon. That's true. Um, it, well, it's not really my book. I'm just the audio engineer of the book. Uh, the book itself has an author and an illustrator and a gigantic number of multi, you know, generational corporate gauntlets to go through because that's Star Trek and that's the way it goes. <laughs> Many hands stirring the pot then. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people with uh, final cut choices to make. Um, everything oh, from I don't like the way that sounds to this book is a bad idea to this book should be set on fire to you should be set on fire to you should <laughs> get me some matches so I can set you on fire to, you know, it just it goes on for a really long time. It's a big flow chart. Sounds like the corporate world to me. Uh, it's it's actually the multi-corporate world. It's You have to think of a multiverse, not necessarily a, a single timeline. Though, I know Star Trek fans have a bit of an issue with alternate timelines. Uh, maybe a little, <laughs> but we won't go into that this week. Oh, why not? It's so much fun. <laughs> oh, because we do that every other week. That's all. By the way, truth of the matter is, I'm a, I'm a Trekkie from way back, so I can't... Uh, I don't get to to speak about Star Trek fans as though they are some contiguous group um, outside my studio door. I mean, I've been I've been following uh, along for years, ever since I was little. Well, that's something that I was going to ask you, Emmett. Was uh, what is your history there with Star Trek? When were you first introduced, and really, what kind of um, captured you and, and made you a fan of the show? Uh, when I was little, my mom worked a number of jobs. Uh, she was going to nursing school, and she was uh, working in restaurants, and she was bartending. Uh, I had a single mom, so no one ever, ever told me to go to bed. Uh, and I lived in a place called Plumsteadville, Pennsylvania, which I mean, you can kind of imagine what that looks like. It's all um, farms, meth houses, smoking holes that used to be meth houses. But it's <laughs> way on top of a hill, and we could get the New York stations uh, as well as the Philadelphia stations, and I would 
uh, stay up to watch the honeymooners and then Star Trek would come on at 1 a.m. Uh, nice. So I, I would watch that. And the, the funny thing is about WPIX is they have a history. Um, it was funny because you could see Spock's brain at least every two weeks and mirror, mirror, <laughs> maybe once every eight months. So it, it was almost hysterical in the way that they, they treated their Star Trek library. Interesting. So for you, is uh, TOS then your favorite of the series, or uh, did you end up having another as uh, subsequent series came out? Uh, well, my favorite is actually Star Trek Vanguard, to be honest with you. But uh, TOS was, you know, that's the, the core of what I like the most. Uh, granted, I'm 36 years old. Um, the next-gen thing kind of passed me by. Um, but, yeah, when I, was, when I was a kid, I was watching Star Trek. My Uncle Dave was extremely influential in all of that. He was, I went to him and I told him about this show called Star Trek, and he's like, yeah, I've seen every episode of that show. I'm like, how could that be? You're lying to me, Uncle Dave. But I didn't, I didn't know that Star Trek was a show that, that was in reruns. I didn't know what that was. So, you know, he explained to me a lot of episodes that I hadn't seen yet, and he would act out episodes in the backyard of my grandma's house. So the, the first time uh, I, I remember hearing, do you think you should rephrase that, laddie? You know, that was not uh, Jimmy Dillon. It was my Uncle Dave. He had to tell me the story of The Trouble with Tribbles and Mirror Mirror and uh, City on the Edge of Forever. So that was my, my, my first was watching the show. And the, the second round was hearing about all the awesome episodes I never saw from my Uncle Dave. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, you mentioned that, too, you really enjoyed Star Trek Vanguard. So have you kept up with the all the novels, do you try and read them all, or do you just uh, kind of have your favorite series in them and, and, and read those? Uh, the thing about Vanguard is that I, I'm, I'm I'm pretty good terms with the with the authors, and they tricked me into reading their their set of novels. Um, it's important to note that even though I, I work on Star Trek and I've been working on Star Trek for a decade, I get nothing special. Occasionally, I'll get something sent to me from CBS or whatever. But when it comes to the books, I've got to order them the same time you do. I don't get any special dispensation. Um, would that I did, because I, I think I'd probably tweet ten times more than I do. Uh, because if they <laughs> sent me novels early, I could talk about them, and they wouldn't be under NDA. Um, if you want me to talk about you know, Star Trek Into Darkness, that conversation's not going to happen. Right. Right. So the NDAs for these things are pretty funny. Um Someone asked me because uh, they said, "Hey, can you can you send us some samples of the audio?" And and I said, "You know, they if if I do that, my contract says you know they're allowed to throw a tarp over me and huck oranges at me." So, <laughs> <laughs> so That's no, the no. The answer is no. There are a limited number of scenarios in which um, I can give folks access to stuff. But realistically, it tends to be a situation where uh, if I'm at a con, I absolutely play the bloopers from How to Speak Klingon. Ooh. Yeah, that's a really, really fun presentation, and that's really fun to do, especially when the voice actor is on, on the book is sitting right next to me in the panel, and I'm making oh, fun fantastic. of him. And it's, it's great because I'm not the guy on the mic. They can just hear me as a small voice through the talkback. So everything that's going wrong is completely his fault. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. 
Oh, wow. Please tell me you're going to be at Star Trek Las Vegas this year. Uh, you know what? I'm only an hour out of Las Vegas. I might go up. I don't know. I certainly don't. I, I don't think I've been to a, a – is it a creation con, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been to one of those since – well, honestly, since before I started working on Star Trek. So I haven't been to one oh, since. Oh, wow. You ought to come over there. Yeah, but if, if if I went there, I suspect I'd get lost in the shuffle. Nobody wants to meet an audio engineer. You know, it's I like, would. Uh, okay, maybe you, you, but you would just, you would be the one, right? <laughs> and I would be a very captive audience. Let me tell you. Well, I'm not bringing handcuffs. I mean, what? No, 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 no. You could just talk your little heart out about what you do, and I would be enamored with it. Okay. For real. I could just call you on the phone. Why do I have to go to Vegas? <laughs> because it's Vegas, man. I, I like Vegas. It's a senior prom for people that are bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> that line is That's not it. mine. Um, I, I did a that, – that, that line is, is belongs entirely, entirely to Pendulet. Oh, nice. I did some work with Teller about a million years ago, but we know. We stay in contact. A million? Wow. I had no idea he was that old. He's Xenozoic. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Actually, have you ever uh, read the story, The Picture of Dorian Gray? No. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, Matthew is literate. Yes. Well, <laughs> I host a show about literacy. There's a fantastic yeah. artist named Georgia Marr, and she is from Texas, and she's known online as Texas Art Chick. Uh, Teller is It's pretty well known. He doesn't. He doesn't really seem to age. He's looked pretty much the same he has for the same for the past 30 years. Um, and a lot of the reason that people don't notice that is because they're looking at the big, loud one talking and not at the sneaky thing that Teller is doing behind his back. <laughs> but uh, Teller has Georgia come into his home every year where he has – she did a painting of him. But every year she comes in and ages the painting another year. Huh. So interesting. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is really interesting. That is You're cool. going to have to cut that out because nobody's going to get that. Because you know what? <laughs> I know what I hate about this. I really hate about this, and it drives me crazy as as uh, as a screenwriter and, and as a writer and producer. Um, it drives me crazy that Star Trek fans do not understand what the undiscovered country is. Matthew, oh. what is the yeah. undiscovered country? Well, for, yeah, for Hamlet, it's... It's death. So. That's right. It's yeah. death. And if you don't understand that, you will not get that scene at all. It is wasted upon you. <laughs> when he says the undiscovered country and everyone looks around like, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> and then Gorkhan's Awkward. like, the future. And everyone's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yes. but, but that yeah. scene is so good. And, and I, I, it drives me crazy when fans don't, don't, don't get that. It's... The, the thing about Star Trek is it's hyper-literate. There are so many layers to things that go on in Star Trek that if, yeah. you, if you build yeah. from the ground up your, your base of knowledge about the world around you, Star Trek pays off in spades. Seriously, if you yeah. are the Definitely. type of person that loves yeah. to read, loves to listen to different kinds of music, um, loves stories with strong characters and, and strong character development, the smarter you are about expanding the scope of what you know, the more Star Trek will pay you back. Totally. Yeah. The more you've, the more you've read is definitely the more it pays off. And the more you know about literature or religion or science, 
all of these things really do in, in a lot of ways um, work their way into Star Trek in, in very subtle um, ways. And so uh, you do have to be somebody who ha- has paid attention to the world around you for it to really help. And that is one of the things that makes it so awesome. Yeah, I mean, the good news is you don't, you mean, you don't have to be Jimmy Library or uh, Mr. Ataz. If I, I was just going to say that. reference. Um, yeah, yeah. You, don't, you don't have to go there to like Star Trek. But no. if, you, if you do go there, you're going to like Star Trek even more. Right. Totally. Exactly. Most definitely. Well, Emmett, one of the one of the things I was going to ask you, and I wanted to really know, was that how did you get into to sound design and, and then into working with uh, you know audiobooks and Star Trek audiobooks? Uh, well, an interesting thing when I was in uh, when I was in high school, I, I when I was in junior high school, I actually shared, you know, I was on stage with Pink. On numerous occasions, because we were both in our junior high production of Cats. Oh wow! When I was in eighth grade, I was I, I went out for the school play, and we did Cats, and I you know I read this poem, and that was fine. And then after that, I went into ninth grade. I'm like, well, let me you know sing in the chorus, and then I, I sang in the chorus, and the the chorus teacher said, we should have had you sing that last year. Why didn't you tell anybody that you could sing anything. And I didn't know that I could. Um, they were very, very patient with me because, you know, I was, I was a Trekkie in junior high. And interestingly enough, my English teacher from junior high set up a Star Trek club at school for nice. the people that liked Star Trek. And she friended me on Facebook last week. And she's, she's now retired. And I'm like, give me your address. So I sent her a copy of How to Speak, Speak Klingon right away. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had, a, you know, I was one of those gifted students, but I was never bad. I never, you know, I wasn't into like vandalism. I was just into not. Oh, that was me. I was, yeah, I was just never into doing schoolwork. <laughs> like if it was homework, I didn't do it. If it was math, I didn't do it. Um, so I'm, I had to have been a terrible challenge for them because I would say, hey, I have an idea and I want to go do this. And they were very, very limited in, you know, in a public school as to their ability to say, yeah, run like hell at that. And they really kind of went out of their way to make it possible for me to run at things. When I got into high school, I started producing a local public access show using stolen time on our uh, broadcasting department's equipment. And I would help out. <laughs> Uh, managing uh, and, and setting up the planetarium that was in our high school. Um, and I remember using the video projector in the high school to, uh, you know, use a Klingon ship decloaking as an effect in one of the, uh, in one of the shows. And, you know, the powers that be didn't like that very much at all, but I thought it was cool. So uh, a lot of my, a lot of my teachers really went out of their way to, make it possible for me to do the stuff that I wanted to do. Cause they realized I was never, ever, ever going to do my work. They realized I was always going to be at school, but I was never going to go to class. So <laughs> they, they made it possible for me to do a lot of things. Um, so I, I started, I, I sang in choir and I got, uh, um, well, here's the, I mean, funny part. I was in school with pink and Justin Guarini from American Idol. Ah, oh, okay. And oh, okay. Uh, my class nominated me and Jenny Stern 
as most talented. Because at least on half of that equation, kids in junior high school are idiots. Uh, Jenny has done numerous Broadway national tours. Um, I've worked on a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> it's, if you look at the class photo, uh, there are three Grammys, there are two Emmy Awards, um, and a, you know, a big pile of Star Trek. So I'm, I was always really happy that I, lived, I kind of grew up in that creative environment. So I, I did. Um, for me, it's always been a case of let's try and tell a story, let's try and do stuff, let's play with toys. So that became, let's play with broadcast equipment, let's play with sound equipment, let's play with reel-to-reel, let's play with decks, let's do some volunteer time at a radio station. Um, this is, you know, back before they said, you should really have a lot of things that you're doing that are in school, so you can be attractive to colleges. Um, I did all that stuff, and I, I don't know if I was attracted to colleges or not, because I never applied, I never went. So it's always been a case of, let's... It, it all po- if at all possible, let's let's not work for a living. Um, the, <laughs> That's ideal. The number, yeah, the number one thing I hate most in the world, um, well, the number two thing I hate more than anything else in the world is working. But the number one thing I hate more than anything else in the world is being poor. So it's a case of you have to really kind of build your life around doing what you love to do. Mm-hmm. And if you if you're not doing what you love to do, you need to stop it and run away quickly. And <laughs> that's worked out really, really well for me. And a lot of it is, you know, damn luck. And a lot of it is the fact that I really love playing with toys and I always want to try new things. And that can sometimes push you on the leading edge of a technology or the leading edge of um, a new way of doing things. And if you keep your mind open about what's going on, you can learn stuff, teach stuff to other people, and and make it work. So I was always interested in production and, and things like that from an early age. But as I got older, it was, well, I really like music, and I like playing, you know, the theremin. Uh, I, I played the theremin and the accordion. Uh, one of my friends asked me if I was starting an annoying instrument museum. But, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it was let's play with analog synthesizers. Let's um, let's shape sounds. And when I when I started, I mean, synthesizers were an expensive thing. Uh, they can still be an expensive thing, but it, it's one of those scenarios where you know, 20 years ago, people would spend a quarter million dollars on an editing machine, and now they can spend uh, you know three grand on a Mac that will do all of that and much, much, much more. So. Right. I've been fortunate in that I didn't over-invest in synthesizers. I, I just like to, to play with stuff. And that became, hey, I'm just going to write a bunch of music for fun and give it away to my nerd friends. And I did that for a long time. And then it was, hey, you know all that music you do for your nerd friends? Yeah, well, I'd like to use it in my video game. Oh, well, okay. So that's that's how I kind of got into to working as a composer. And I've written music for probably 50 different video games at this point. Oh, wow. So it's, yeah, I mean, that's, trust me, the the Star Trek money is a rounding error compared to, you know, the the bank I make on on production and and music and all the other stuff that I do that is not Star Trek. I actually spent all the money I made on How to Speak Klingon on GIFs and promo copies of How to Speak Klingon because Mm -hmm. I was so happy with it and I wanted to make sure that everyone I knew... um, 
that was into it could get a copy. That's, oh, that's, that's totally fantastic. awesome. And it is a beautiful cool. book. Oh my God. If the, the, I mean, we'll get into the production of it later, but there were parts of the, the production that were just absolutely torturous. But <laughs> the Star Trek stuff is just the, you know, it's, it's a thing that I, that I do and I, I really enjoy it. I really love it. Um, generally for what they pay people like me, you have to love it. Uh, it. It's one of those things you do just, just to do it, just to, you know, it's very few times in your life that you're going to be able to work on a billion dollar franchise. It, it, it's just, right. it's, it's not terribly likely. Um, now, if that's a case where you get to work on a billion dollar franchise and that franchise happens to be something you've loved ever since you were little, that doesn't feel like work, man. No, no. So that's, that's kind of how I, how I got involved in audio design and soundtrack composition and sound design and broadcast technologies and things like that. Okay. Well, what are some of the favorite Star Trek audio books uh, that you've either just listened to or that you've worked on? Oh, man. Um, well, honestly, in my head, it's, you know, the, the great readings I hear in my head when I read Vanguard um, that mm -hmm. will, you know, that, that I wish were made. Uh, some of them are are awesome for different reasons. Um, mm -hmm. Enterprise, the first adventure, uh, which I believe is now non-canonical. Um, I believe that was yeah that was that was Takei, and Takei is one of my favorite favorite dudes to to work with um, in terms of you know sound and sound design and engineering. Um, Leonard Nimoy, I believe, also voices Spock in that particular book. Um, and if anybody asks you, you know, well, what's Leonard Nimoy's voice like? The the only correct answer is a smooth ass baritone, because it just sounds <laughs> great. It's it's really smooth. Indeed. There's a, a lot of audiobooks that I like because I really like the story. And sometimes that kills me because the reason I like the story so much is because I love the book. Uh, mm -hmm. Prime Directive by Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens is probably... Mm -hmm. It's a good one. I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with it. No, Not that much could have possibly happened in the five-year mission and it never be brought up again. But that being said, it is brilliant. Stem to stern, it is a beautiful and amazing, touching book. And it really forces you to think differently and more deeply about these characters. And it allows you to, to sink a little deeper into what their ideas and ideals are. Uh, it turns out that Spock will absolutely game a system to get his way. It turns out that McCoy, in his own way, can be quite the badass. And <laughs> those are, we've seen glimmers of that in, you know, TV and movies. But, uh, Prime Directive is, is one of those books that just, just blows me away. I try to read it at least once a year. That's how much I like it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is one of my personal favorites as well. I've read it uh, a few times, and I even have an old hardback copy of it just because I love it so much. I've probably purchased that book about 10 times and just given it away. It's like, oh, you need to read this one. You need to read this one. <laughs> uh, I had the same problem with Vanguard. I, I've bought, um, I don't know, I, I imagine I'm probably funding one of Dave Max vacations with the number of copies of Harbinger <laughs> I've purchased and just give it to other people and be like, you, you need to, 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 to stop, 
you know, I mean, not not to disrespect any of you guys, but I mean, I, I said this last week and I did another one of these things. I said, you need to stop listening to podcasts and typing on Facebook and taking pictures of your cat and read Vanguard, <laughs> and then we can have an adult conversation. So <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it's a situation where I, I, I am a Trekkie, but I'm also a Trek booster because I have stuff that I love. And I know that a lot of, you know, the, when you're talking about books, um, I just did a con with uh, Keith DeCanada last week and we were talking about right in star Wars, how the absolute best thing Disney could do now that they have star Wars is to do the Eric the empire trilogy, which is amazing and is so good. It will never, ever, ever get done. These books sold for like $6 any media tie-in book is read by less than 10% of the audience that enjoyed the show. So it doesn't make any financial sense for them to be like, oh, well, let's do the end of the empire. People seem to like it. It's like, no, this really small group of people seem to like it. And I don't know if it would play well for a large audience, but you have to keep that stuff in mind, especially when you're talking about Star Trek and Star Wars and other really big, um, you know, uh, you have to understand that in, in certain levels, um, when you're talking about Star Trek and Star Wars, you, you think as a science fiction fan or as you know a science fantasy fan if you're into Star Wars. Um, and you know what? And don't tell me because there's midichlorians it makes it science fiction. Midichlorians <laughs> suck. It's the <laughs> dumbest thing in the universe, and I'm not going to discuss it. Anyway. <laughs> seriously, you know, George Lucas is like, I tried to work some science in it. Shut up! Just shut up! <laughs> it's not quite science, George. Yeah, and, and I'm just like, be, be quiet. If you could just shut up about midichlorians, keep a you know muzzle on Jar Jar Binks, and give me a half-hour sitcom called Boba Fett Goes Through the Frozen Food Section of the Grocery Store, I am there for every episode. But don't try and convince me that it's science fiction because you made up some crap 20 years later. I think that the Jar Jar muzzle would be a really popular collectible. Maybe Think Geek should get on that. Yeah, a Hallmark ornament, maybe. Of the Jar Jar muzzle? I used to work for a company that was part of ThinkGeek and our company. We were all the same all the same group. So I used to, you know, hang out with the folks from ThinkGeek twice a year. And it's kind of amazing nice. that after all this time, they, they've, they've really done well. Are you responsible for the Wampa sleeping bag? Absolutely not. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't think I, I, I'm responsible for anything at ThinkGeek other than, you know, Again, Dave Max vacations and Think Geeks, you know, <laughs> Carnival Cruise. That's probably on my on my bill at this point. Uh, but when you're talking about Star Trek and Star Wars, it seems as a science fiction fan that you are in you're you're dealing with um, a gigantic market, and realistically, you are. There are Star Trek and Star Wars products being made around the world pretty much every business day. When you get into stuff like tie-ins and when you get into stuff like audiobooks, you have to understand that you're competing with things like uh, Pimsleur Language, uh, Rosetta Stone, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, Harry Potter. Those are the absolute heavy hitters. Uh, Ale Alexander Scorby reads the Bible. I, 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 can, I can hear your listenership falling asleep right now because they're like, I don't understand how any of that could be more interesting than <laughs> Captain James T. Kirk. And I, I agree, but you know, 
you have to understand that there's there's still we're still very much in a niche market when it comes to a lot of licensed products. Right. Is right. is that really kind of the um the reason for the lack of Star Trek audiobooks in the, in the past few years? Um I wish I could answer this question with, with some degree of, you know, authenticity or truth. I can only tell you what I know. Uh, a really good example, and I'll use How to Speak Klingon as the example of this. Uh, Becker and Mayer made the book uh, under Chronicle Books, who licensed material from CBS. And when they did so, they, they signed a contract with me. They signed a contract with the Klingon Language Institute to get all the translations done. Uh, and another one, because the director was the voice talent. So, and not to mention, they also have to spend money on uh, hiring a company to actually make the books and then ship them from wherever they are to wherever they need to be. And then they have to get that book, once it's, once it's here, into the hands of distributors, uh, whether that's uh, Ingram or Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Diamond Comic Distributors. You have to understand that at this point, we're talking about a lot of different corporations and a lot of different contracts. You're talking about the book publishers, the shipping company, CBS, Becker & Mayer, Chronicle Books, me, the Klingon Language Institute. And this is available to you, the consumer, for $9.75 on Amazon. And if you have Prime, that's shipped free. Right. Uh, I said earlier today that it's not even a case of um, calling a margin razor thin because it's worse than that. The, the profit margin on a product like this is so thin to only be visible with an electron microscope. When you're talking about Star Trek and, and audiobooks, um, you have to understand that you're talking about CBS, Simon & Schuster, Pocket Books, whomever is going to produce it, uh, whatever rights they have with the author to do audiobook versions of it, and how that how that's handled. And I don't know enough about any of that stack to give you a solid answer. But I can tell you that there is most certainly a stack of people in that equation that expect to be compensated, even if they're a nonprofit like the Klingon Language Institute. It takes time and effort and people to do these translations. So even if the, the translators are working for free, you still have to keep the lights on the Klingon Language Institute. You have to make sure that you know their internet bills are paid and they can get things out and that they can use the work of these translators to do things like the Tao Te Ching, uh, the Art of War, Gilgamesh, which are really, really awesome books and you should totally pick them up if you're a, you're a fan of Klingon. So I can't tell you, I wish it were so easy that there was one man behind a desk and I could kick the door open, walk up, throw Vanguard on the table and say, we are doing this. The problem is it's not that easy. It's probably 30 different people, all of whom yeah. have their hand out. So please understand that you're dealing with a multi, probably a multi-billion dollar enterprise at this <laughs> enterprise at this point. So in order to make anything at all happen, it's uh, it's tough. It's almost like kids' animation. So if you have an idea for a kids' animation show, um, 
you'll write a script and then you'll rewrite the script and then you'll rewrite the script and then you'll take it to a network and they'll say, this is a really great idea for a show. We like it a lot and we'd like to put it on. Do you have a toy? Because that's code for, we're not actually going to pay you to put this on our network. You're going to be making your money on a toy. Hmm. So then you pack up all your stuff and you go to a, a major toy manufacturer, probably somewhere in Taiwan, and you say, okay, I've hired some people. We've had maquettes made. Can you make this toy in in large quantities? And the toy company will be like, man, your maquettes are awesome. We can absolutely make this toy. We can make it at this price point. Um, And we can make half a million of them. And we can have those out next fall so that people can buy it on Christmas. But do you have a show? So... Even in that equation, you have to juggle those two parts to even get a show on the air. So when you're talking about something that's an established product, um, like Pokemon, it's still possible to get stuff on the air, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. When you're talking about something like Star Trek, when a lot of people really have to look at what's going on, and they have to make sure that not only is your product what you say your product is, but it's got to meet, you know, their own standards and, and things like that. And if you're a book publisher, you're like, well, I don't know if I really want to do a Star Trek book, but there might be money in it. I might be able to make more money on this Star Trek book than I could with an original book um, for the same investment. So I'll give it a shot, but I only really want to do this project if it has this, this, and this. So, Again, if it was one guy behind a desk that I could throw a Vanguard on, I would absolutely do it. But it's not one person. It's a lot of different people, and yeah, they, they all have their demands. Um, I miss the days from the 90s when there were so many Star Trek audiobooks, and then they just kind of disappeared. And it seems like there's an opportunity now to cut out some of the expense that you talk about by doing them purely as digital, especially with Amazon owning Audible now. It would be if someone saw an opportunity to do them and not make a physical product from it. So that eliminates some of the steps, but of course not all, but it, it does. I, but it, it, I feel like to, there's just not a market. Well, you have to understand that um, any money they've made on most of these products has been in the retail channel. So they might not necessarily want to dive into something like audible because in the retail channel, they know they can make money. They know they can make money at Hallmark every Christmas, for example. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so they might want to go with what's familiar. But again, this is me just just talking, oh, yeah. you know, about the way I I think things work based on how I see it. Um, for me, it's on one hand, it's like, wow, I would really like to to do new Star Trek audiobooks. I would love to do that. But the the more important thing for me is because I, I do approach this stuff as a fan first and not as a business person first. I think. Imagine how great it would be to do some of these titles and be able to do them unabridged because we don't have mm-hmm. to think about if that it will fit really on nice. the right. sets, mm-hmm. if it will fit on the CDs. Imagine mm-hmm. how awesome it would be if we could if we could do a lot of these stories unabridged. And it's not totally. an inexpensive endeavor. Um, since SAG and AFTRA are both together now, if, I mean, Star Trek fans expect their Star Trek books to be read by Star Trek actors. And that's cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But that's expensive, man. You know, you've got to be paying these people a day rate. So you have to make it worthwhile to them. And then you have to see if you have all the other stuff on the other side of that equation put together. Because you need to make sure that 
it's because it's not just about getting an actor in a studio, getting them behind a mic and getting them to read a book. You also want to make sure that they're available to help promote the book. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, when you're publishing any book now, they want you to do a, a book tour. And that's, you know, th- these actors make a lot more money playing characters on television and movies than they do reading books in a studio. And they certainly make more money than they do going to a Barnes and Noble in Voorhees, New Jersey. Right. So it's, it's, there are a lot of pieces that, that, that need to come together. That's why all future Star Trek books will be read by Garrett Wong. Um, if I were going for like Star Trek actors that are always available, um, I would actually go with, um, it's not a case of whether or not they're available. I wish we were doing new ones so I could pull in some of the talent that is very, very good, but I think sometimes underrated, um, especially because they work on Star Trek. Bob Picardo needs to be reading audiobooks because he oh, would be heavens, fantastic. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah, fantastic. Be excellent. Um, Manu Interemi, who was Ichab on Voyager, I met him last weekend. Very serious about what he does, and I know that he would approach doing an audiobook responsibly. You know, uh, th- there's just a, a lot of people who, you know, Rene Aubergenois does a fantastic job narrating, mm-hmm. and I think he, yes. he, he could do more of that. Armin Shemmerman also did a great job. Uh, they both did the 34th rule, and if you haven't read that mm-hmm. or listened to the audiobook, you should. It's, it's great. You, you still get that Odo and Quark being chummy, and then Odo like, Quark! You know, so <laughs> it, you get all that stuff going on. Um, I think it's the 34th rule, and I, I think the 34th rule is actually uh, war is good for business. But I think the 35th is peace is also good for business. So Right. Yes. Yeah, it's something like that. Please don't quote me. Like I can just imagine like the nerds pulling out their nerd cards <laughs> and saying like <laughs> demanding demanding it back. Um if they and and I've got to tell them, look, if you didn't get it because I don't like the Lord of the Rings and I don't, you're certainly not gonna get it over me screwing up a rule of acquisition. So stand back. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd like to shift gears just a teeny bit and talk about how to speak Klingon. And I kind of want to hearken back a little bit to what you said earlier about how how many people are involved in the process of making a book and how to speak Klingon. Uh, I've had the chance to look through it, and it is awesome. <laughs> I see it kind of as like a how-to for tourists kind of foreign language book. You know, those really essential things you need to know, say, if you were going to Kronos. Um, right. And it's it incorporates illustration, sound, writing. That's a lot of people in many different fields. Um, do you have any sense of how the concept for this book was developed? And I mean, from what it sounds like, it's a downright miracle it happened because of just how complicated this gets. Here, here's something really funny. When I opened the book, I mean, I, when I got it out of the box, I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. But let's not pretend that I'm not a raging egomaniac and didn't check the credits immediately. So <laughs> I went to the last page and I looked at the credits. I'm like, wow, I haven't heard from most of these people ever. So the thing about How to Speak Klingon for me is part of the reason it, it is so charming is because it doesn't take itself seriously. The Klingon language has been a very academic thing like if you want to learn Klingon as yeah. a language you can absolutely do that there uh-huh. are dictionaries there are uh, pronunciation guides there is in fact a Klingon language institute that you could look up on the internet yeah university courses so a lot of these people that worked on the book um, 
I've never interacted with. Uh, Alex Fine, who did the artwork. I suspect I know Alex from a convention in Maryland. So if he's been there and I've seen his work, then I know of him, but I've never actually met him to the best of my knowledge. Um, ben Grossblatt, who wrote the book, uh, we've exchanged some emails. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Schoen at the Klingon Language Institute, uh, we work together, and he's uh, he's incredibly smart. He's a, he's a, And he's a really nice guy. It's funny because people are like, oh, he's the director of the Klingon Language Institute. It's like, well, sure, but he's also Dr. Lawrence Schoen. He's a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. So, he, yeah, he comes from a very academic background. He knows a lot of things about a lot of things, which Indeed. is, yeah, which makes him great, you know, conversation. Whenever I get out to his place, we always hit the Chinese buffet, and we, we talk about stuff for hours. And then long after we're done with the buffet, then perhaps if the mood strikes us, we will do some work. <laughs> as far gotcha. as making it all come together, I, I really have to hand that to, to Ben Grossblatt. Um, he's done the publishing thing before. He's done the authorship thing before. And I, you know, he's got a good sense of how to navigate those waters. I would love to work with him again. It's, uh, I've never actually met him. and I actually missed a chance to meet him when I went to NorWestCon. Uh, he didn't wow. go to NorWestCon, but I was in Seattle. I could have just driven to his house and, you know, pounded on the door and <laughs> yelled things in Klingon. I'm sure that would have been fine with the police. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, I mean, a lot of things happen this way. Uh, there have been, you know, but that that's pretty common. I write music for games that are made by people that do not speak English. So uh, <laughs> a, a lot of it is, is like, well, let's try and navigate that. But it's possible to do. And the amazing thing to me is it was such a great product. Like how to speak Klingon is so much fun. And it is, it is the antithesis of all the incredibly academic stuff that's come out featuring Klingon um, seriously for the past 10 years. Um, even stuff, you know, the KLI's books like Gilgamesh and stuff, they're, you know, they're in Klingon. So mm -hmm. how, how clever can you really get with Gilgamesh? Uh, it turns out you can get pretty clever, but not clever in a broad way. When it's like when you're at a sporting event, here's the Klingon for Arbiter. Your mother has a has a smooth forehead. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some great little insults yeah. in that, and the illustrations for those who haven't looked at the book yet. It, you know, take a look at them because they're nice and bloody and violent, and uh, I absolutely love it. It's it's very. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the cartoon Metalocalypse. Yeah, a little bit. In its character. It's kind of like that, for those that know that There's also like show. little in-jokes in the artwork. Mm -hmm. Like you'll see a sign, and then you'll have to look up what the sign actually says. So yes, yes. There's, if you, if you, I don't want to say, if you deep dive into how to speak Klingon, you will be richly rewarded, and you will learn the secret of everything. There are little details. Yeah, yes. you can, you can... You know, you can OCD that for a little bit. Or, you know, CD <laughs> so the letters are alphabetical. Totally. So how did you get brought into this process for how to speak Klingon? Interestingly enough, I met I met Dr. Schoen last year at Trek Tracks, a convention in Atlanta, Georgia, and I met him for the first time last year. When the book publisher came to the Klingon Language Institute to have the translations done, um, they, they said, hey, well, we're going to have a studio up here, and, you know, we'll bring in a guy who's local that you know and trust to do these, you know, to do the voice work. And it turned out that, the, you know, the guy wasn't available or the studio wasn't available. Um, I had no idea. And I was in the process of actually moving my studio from Delaware to Pennsylvania. 
So he called me up. He's like, hey, I need to come by your studio and record a few things. And I said, well, it's in pieces. And he he said, well, here's what we're doing. And I said, ah, okay. So then he's like, yeah, we're just going to do it this way. And the, the publishing company said, well, you know, this this audio engineer that you know you know has has he ever even worked on anything professional before and then he just you know he sends them the list of 25 star trek audiobooks and they're like oh i imagine i, I guess he'll be fine so it's worked out pretty well <laughs> he'll he do. know what he's doing right so we ended up doing I mean, which is not to say that like yes i am a god among soundsmen uh, we just say, you know, I, I think they were concerned that, uh, that like he was just a fan that they were bringing in. Right, and right. He was going to try to record it on, I don't know, a microwave. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, whatever you, whatever you use to record that. So That would be interesting to try, I guess. Yeah. I, I imagine the screaming might screw up the mix. Maybe. <laughs> so It might have a very interesting sound, though. It might, but you have to understand there's, a, there's fans inside of a microwave and that induces a lot of the 60 hertz hum which is mm. you know you stand in your apartment and close your eyes without anything on and you'll hear the hum uh-huh if, if you're an audio dork you recognize the 60 hertz hum for the so that's what that is madness that it is that it is i yeah. have actually heard that before yeah for real yeah it, it's it's where it is uh, you can actually take that out with a notch filter if you're so if you're so inclined so I'm just kind of curious, uh, did you know a whole lot of Klingon before you got brought into this project? I mean, did you have to brush up and study, or did you have nothing to do with that because you had Dr. Schoen speaking? To have a Klingon relative who you used to hang out with, and you know, you picked right. up a lot of phrases. I learned the Klingon for, for bad touch. No, the... <laughs> uh, the uh, what? So the only Klingon I really know is Klingon which is I don't speak Klingon. No. Which is really, you know, this comes from the time when I was young, like 17 years old, and I didn't have any money, and I was sleeping on the floor of other people's hotel rooms, like at Star Trek conventions. <laughs> and, you know, back then the Klingons would just roll up on you. You know, like you're, you're like in line for an autograph. And they're trying to be like, hey, come be Klingon with us. And they roll up and they just they just bark out like this Klingon stuff. And I just learned these was the sons of Moog. Are these like the the Klingons in the tall grass from Children of Time who roam into the village <laughs> and want you to come be Klingons with them? That sounds <laughs> naughty, but yeah, basically you're correct. So I mean, they're like, "Come on, we're Klingons. We're having fun. Let's be Klingons together." I like Star Trek. Do you like Star Trek? Yes. Then come be Klingon. Well, no. But they would roll up, they'd be like, ah, whatever they're saying. Like, and then they would like instantly break character. They'd be like, hey, that sounds pretty good. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. You know, so it, it's, it's pretty <laughs> funny. But the, the sad part is, you know, I've done uh, Conversational Klingon and Power Klingon, I believe. Um, or Conversational Klingon 1 and 2 as audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was really before, you know, the internet was a thing. Or, or really a big thing. Like I think this was like before there was a Facebook. Yeah, pretty sure. And and certainly it was before yeah. there was a Twitter. Um, the sad part is that you know how to speak Klingon is you know it's promoted fairly well. You know it's it's getting out there. Um, I know they sent pictures to publishers weekly of a guy with a full batleth and full armor 
holding the book. So I hope that makes it in there. But you know, it, it's it's a pretty big product. It's getting it's getting some decent push. So, and a lot of people know me because I've I've been doing the Star Trek stuff for a while. So when they're like, "Hey, how to speak Klingon?" and then I just get a lot of tweets of things in Klingon that I do not understand and will never ever translate because I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's interesting how how things do do play out. Um, there's a uh, a woman who does translations for the Klingon Language Institute, and uh, she is for a living. She is a pilot in Canada. She's a commercial pilot. So I said, "Oh man, we got I'm a I'm a student pilot." And I said, "We've got to get some Klingon phrases for you know being a pilot because you know there are certain things that." You know phrases and 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 I, I'm sure that as fans of science fiction, you wouldn't understand how certain organizations or groups of people speak in their own language. But okay, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll stop the signal and use just a billion <laughs> other memes from science fiction. <laughs> uh, it was cool because she she did a, a like a little Twitter series of aviation related Klingon phrases, and they were really funny. So I was really happy to see those, but I, again, I was really happy because they came with translations in the tweet. I think if I if I sat down, I could probably uh, read a Klingon sentence properly. I don't think I would necessarily understand what it meant, if that makes any sense. I know enough of the sounds because of, of because recording Klingon is an absolute nightmare, and if anyone ever tries to get you to do it, say no, because it sucks, but we'll go into that later. But yeah, I, I don't speak any Klingon. I kind of wish I did. I kind of wish I spoke more, but I don't wish it enough to learn. So I have a lot of other stuff I want to learn first. Yeah, there's, I think it, there's, it's probably far, pretty far down the list of things I want to achieve. Yeah, okay. there's well, plenty to, to get into uh, besides learning Klingon that I think would be more important uh, in, in life in general. Well, yeah, I mean, because, yeah. you know, there's this whole, you know, girls thing. <laughs> of that. Yeah, I'm, ju- I'm just kidding. Look, I mean, there's a lot of people who knows who know Klingon and speak Klingon and love getting into language and etymology. And I understand that. I mean, I know Latin. You know what I mean? So Do I you? understand. Yeah, I know. I understand oh, nice. why they'd be into like that nerdy stuff. That's great. I took that in junior high and college. Yeah, did you hate it or did you love it? I loved it in junior high, hated it in college. I'll have to tell you off the air sometime. Here's a here's a good uh, a side note going back to an earlier conversation. Uh, Tyler from Penn & Teller used to be a high school Latin teacher. He was? Yep. Huh. Wow. It's a really quiet okay. class. Something I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> MST, Mustis and NT. Everybody can tell a Milford man. Right. Um, well, one of the things that I, I wanted to know, just kind of uh, kind of wrapping up a little bit, was we had talked about just in general audiobooks, um, and I wanted to know what you think uh, your future in audiobooks is, and, and then where do you see the future of audiobooks going with everything that goes into to creating one, and especially for like a tie-in media, where do you see that going? Hmm. I imagine that as long as it's available, people will take audiobook content on the Howard Stern show and make Star Trek actors say horrible things. 
this is something I can tell that will continue to happen in the future. Um, no, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I love I love George, and I love Brad even more. Brad's his husband. But um, the stuff they had George say on the Stern show as things cut up from the audiobooks were hysterical long before he was working as the announcer of the Howard Stern show. Um, and then when he got into the studio, it turned out that he was willing to say a lot of these things. So it, it worked <laughs> out really well for them. Um, I, I think that the one thing about audiobooks is that we're we're hitting a period now where audiobooks aren't just for truckers. And a yes. lot of people like to listen to audiobooks when they're driving, mm-hmm. uh, also when they're at the gym. Also, uh, a lot of people, I can't do it. I can't listen to audiobooks and work at the same time, but a lot of people can. I do it. Um, yeah. I'm not one of those guys. I can't. I can't focus that way in a multi-channel world. I think, uh, you know, the, the future is, is, I think it's going to be, you know, can more digital delivery. Um, I think there's going to be some changes in probably the way people pay for audiobooks. I don't necessarily mean consumers. Um, I don't imagine a future in which I can buy Spock reading the phone book for a Bitcoin. What I'm saying is I think that as time goes by, uh, more things are going to happen legally um, in where audiobook rights are a little bit more mutable than they are now when you purchase a book from an author, where I, I think in a lot of cases you're going to have authors who have access to a sound engineer just, if they can at all do it, uh, read their own audiobooks and and put them out on the net. That That's going to, nice. I mean, it, it's already happening. So I'm not exactly predicting the future as much as I am predicting the present, which is always a safe thing to do. So <laughs> I, I think it's more than anything else, if I could, if I could make one prediction, I think that people aren't quite ready to let it go yet. I mean, especially if you're the generation that grew up with a Walkman, you're already prepared. You know, you're, you're already talking about a technology you're cool with. I think that audiobooks are going to give a lot more people the ability to enjoy stories that they would never read, um, that they would never buy right. the book, they would never read it. And the, the more we can do of that, the better. Um, which is not to say, like, yes, let's reward the impatient. <laughs> I wanted to give you, as we do everyone um, here, just really a place to talk about one where um, all the listeners can follow you to see what you're up to. Um, and then as well to plug all the things that are coming out uh, that uh, have to do with you over the next few months and, and let everybody know uh, when those will be available. The ones I can talk about. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Emmett, E-M-M-E-T-T, plant, P-L-A-N-T, uh, like a flower. You can email me at Emmett, E-M-M-E-T-T, at trekfan.org. And I want to be very clear here. If you are an artist, if you are a writer, if you are a designer, if you are a CG artist, and you like Star Trek, you need to send me an email. Because then perhaps I can put you in touch with somebody who does that. And, you know... Who knows what will happen, but if, if you want to try something out, let me know. I mean, even if, you're a, um, if, even if you're just a fan and you're not a professional at what you're doing, I might be able to help you out in some way. Um, 
there's so many really good creative people um, that are Star Trek fans. As a systems engineer, as an audio engineer, as a as a tech, I can speak Klingon. I can speak you know Star Trek as a language to very smart people and very talented people. Um, I get questions all the time. You know, how do I get an agent? How do I write a screenplay? How do I sell my story? How do I do this? And I am always, always willing to give those people the time of day and an email back at least. So if you're interested in production and media production and and all of this stuff, my door is wide open. If you have a great story that you think would be great um, to have optioned, there's a chance that if I really love it, I might, you know, my production company might option it from you. So you guys need to understand, and I'm speaking to the creative people here, there is no magic. There is nothing special. Um, I mean, I, I, I do work on Star Trek, and that's that's really fun for me. But you need to understand that if you are willing to work at what you're doing and you're willing to, to, to try your best at developing those skills, it is really not that hard to find work in this industry. And it's, it's not a case where you have to, you know, know a secret code or know the right people. You just have to be willing to work hard. And, you know, my company is always hiring. We always get way more work than uh, we can actually do. We turn away about 50% of the work that comes to us because I don't want our people working on anything that they don't absolutely love to do. So that's how it works. So if you are creative and you want to work on stuff, shoot me an email and, you know, we, we can talk. Sweet. Excellent. Well, thank you um, for so much for joining us and kind of letting us uh, behind the curtain of uh, audiobooks and then, of course, uh, how to speak Klingon. We didn't even get into the production side of how to speak Klingon. We didn't. <laughs> that has to Nerds. be too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun, and, and I do appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm always impressed by the stuff I see coming out of Trek FM. That's thank awesome. Thank you very here. much. We appreciate it. Well, Matthew, that was really fun to talk to Emmett about how to speak Klingon because, well, I, I mean, to be honest, it, it is something that I've always aspired to learn how to do. It is true, Chris, and it was also nice to have Char on. Uh, it's always good to have somebody on the show with us that is not a Patak. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, <laughs> you'll definitely just want to go look that up in Emmett's new book. Absolutely. Well, let's let everyone be on their way and tell everyone first how to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on Klingons, the Klingon language, uh, anything else that we talked about in the show today, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and send a literary treks, and that'll come to Matthew and me. You can also join us in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. There's a section there for literary treks, and I don't think there's one for Klingons, but you know, you're free to start a Klingon discussion. You can even type in Klingon if you want to. We don't mind, and that's over Again, at trek.fm slash forums. And you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And, of course, on Twitter under username trek.fm. Now, Matthew, what if someone wants to hurl a few Klingon insults at you? Where should they go? Well, if you'd like to do that, definitely look me up on Twitter. 
Matt rushing zero two. I honestly think Twitter was made just for hurling Klingon insults back and forth at each other. So I'm ready for anything you could throw at me. I'm going to be pulling out Emmett's book and shooting back my best Klingon insults. So hit me with your best shot. Um, and then, of course, you can find me on the Orb and doing the book reviews over at Trek FM. Chris, where can we find you? Just in case anybody might want to compliment you in Klingon. Or maybe to ask you out to dinner. Oh, well, if you'd like to ask me out to dinner in Klingon, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And uh, you can also find me, as Matthew mentioned, on the Orb. And you can find me each week on the Ready Room, where we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series, as well as the movies, lots of Star Trek news. It's a great mix of humor and serious discussion sometimes with Matthew and sometimes with Char and lots of other hosts from various Trek FM shows and other friends of the network. And you can find that over at trek.fm slash TRR. And also, Matthew, let's remind everyone to support our sponsor, Squarespace. It's absolutely the best platform for creating a personal blog, a website, a portfolio, or an online store with the new commerce feature. If you go to squarespace.com slash trek, you can set up a free trial, 14 days, no credit card required. You can try out all the features of the fantastic CMS and state-of-the-art hosting that Squarespace has to offer. And then when you sign up, use offer code TREK4 to get 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. That's squarespace.com slash TREK, offer code TREK4, and you'll be supporting our sponsor and helping us bring literary treks to you each week. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.